Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, Ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my. It's just another night for Supernatural Girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others. Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker, and I'm here with my co-host, Patricia Kirkman. PK, how are you? Absolutely fabulous. I have it melted away in spite of the weather. It's 101 here today. Yikes. Wow. Yep. Oh, I'm my God. I'm inside in the air conditioning, and that's where I'm staying. Yeah. Oh, my. Well, I'm glad that you're all in one piece with that kind of heat. My goodness. So there's so much going on we have to talk about, and we've got a a tremendous guest tonight. Lee Adams is with us, and we're going to be talking about the power of lucid dreaming. He's an expert in this field. And as everybody knows, this is one of our favorite topics, so we're thrilled to have Lee with us. We're going to bring him on in a little while. But for now, let's talk about... Our world in numbers, PK. What's happening? Well, we are in a brand new month, and it's about it's a two universal month, which is all about sensitivity, sometimes overdoing things, but relationships, partnerships, as well as issues with men are going to be top of the list. Also, this is a time we need to be the peacemaker. Don't allow the self to become the doormat for others, but regardless, stand your ground. But don't be nasty about it. You do have to pet the puppy, shall we say, so everybody's happy and gets along. Regardless of what your personal year is, this month is going to have a lot to do with emotions. And the way things are going with the retrograde, you can pretty well count that the emotions are going to run high. This retrograde does not end until the 23rd of June. So it's not a good time to sign or make any important decisions, don't sign contracts if you can avoid it, postpone travel when possible, avoid starting new projects because they're not going to go well, definitely not. And it's very important to be patient. Communicating with others is going to go, well, I won't say difficult, but don't expect things to go well because it's not what it's all about unless you happen to have been born in a retrograde. Those are the only ones that skirt by in a time like this. And the fact that the Mercury retrograde is in Gemini, relationships with the family and between friends are going to be the center of all things, both good and bad. So we've got to kind of pay attention to that. So as I say, we've got until the 23rd of June. But on top of that, remember, we have a shadow period as we're going into the retrograde and a shadow period coming out. So although it ends on the 23rd of June, we still have that two-week dragging us down when it's over. So just be careful of what you sign. Face-to-face is the best you can do when it comes to communicating. 
messages oh, are going to get lost okay. and those, so it's going to get a little dicey. Not a little, a lot dicey if you don't pay attention. Yeah, this sounds like so a real real powerful retrograde from what you've been describing. Yes. Well, because mm. the Mercury is in the sign of Gemini to begin with and the fact that it's retrograde in Gemini makes it twice as much of an issue. As I said, relationships with family and friends are going to be the center of everything, both the good and the bad. And since it's retrograde, I'm looking more towards the, the negative than the positive. Mm-hmm. Unless you're born in a retrograde. Then it's smooth sailing. <laughs> That's right. The rest of the year oh, stinks. Funny. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, really. The rest of us are just going to scratch our heads and probably keep our mouths shut for the whole month. Oh, yeah. So. <laughs> Anything to do with communication is, is just going to be up in the air. Everything needs to be tweeted. Our computers, our smartphones, anything to do with electronics, ay ay ay. And let's face it, our cars are electronics. Now we've got computers in those. And so there really isn't any place you can go that you're not going to be dealing with some issue when it comes to communications. Yeah, that's right. Okay, mm-hmm. everybody, so buckle up. <laughs> we have it Take going on. Take the ride and enjoy it, and when it's over with, you're going to be thrilled to death. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, it's time for the party then. Oh, my. Well, and we had such a disappointment with the Pentagon report that, of course, they didn't release. What is the the holdup? I mean, come on. It's been, what, five months, almost six, Mm -hmm. and they can't get the report together? They need, like, another three weeks? Oh, please. Well, they have to learn how to read it first. (laughs) I guess they have to take off all of those redacted black marks from those documents and decide what they're going to share with us. Oh. Well, I wonder if they hold up to the light if they can actually see anything afterwards. <laughs> yeah, really. But now I'm here. First I heard, well, you know, we had Bob Luca on last week. He was a right. fantastic right. guest talking about all of this. First-hand experiencer, really knowledgeable about the whole field. And he he said right off the bat, he said, I doubt they're going to have it out on the first. And he was right. Mm-hmm. Then we heard the 15th. Now I'm hear, hearing what, the 25th? Yeah, but which month? Ridiculous. Yeah, well, that's right. It'll be after the retrograde, I guess. But it's interesting, you know. People, I gotta say, PK, I gotta, I gotta hand it to our audience and the people that are commenting about this because they understand what the government's doing. You know, they really know not to trust that anything they say and. I mean, if we look at all of what those pilots, that for the Tic Tac pilots that had those, oh yeah, uh, those went, they witnessed what happened, and all of a sudden they're scared. Oh, I'm so scared. Well, why? They've been flying around in our skies for thousands of years, but what are you trying to do? You're trying to set us up so you're afraid. Now we should be afraid. We don't buy it. And so, so many people get it. You know, so many people know what they're up to. And they're very suspicious of anything that they're actually going to come out and, and say. So good for all of you that figured that out. I think that's really smart and good thinking that you're not just mm-hmm. going to blindly go along with whatever. And so it'll be interesting when it finally does rear its head and we can see what it looks like. So, but for now, oh, but you know what? We also, <laughs> I have to bring up something that is 
just phenomenal in terms of viral marketing and somebody who has just made it big time in just about, I don't know, five days, seven days. You've been you've been looking at the Whitey TikTok videos, Whitey 18, that I sent you. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. I mean, here is this young man who has blown up TikTok, gotten this huge following in a very short period of time, happens to be a really nice person, too, from what I see. And it's amazing. It's turned into a global phenomenon with this young man. And playing music from the 80s, lip-syncing, and he's got all of these older women, younger women, gay men. (laughs) It's just, and everybody's having, well, not everybody. Some men are very jealous, apparently, and trying to shut his account Mm -hmm. down, which is too bad. But for the most part, people are just having so much fun with it and it's nice to see instead of the meanness you know the nastiness the people making horrible comments that you usually see on social media there's a lot of people having a lot of fun and i say good it's about time well overdue yeah it's about time we learned to use social media like that and so it's it's been a lot of fun to watch and, boy, what a stellar career I think he's going to have. So it'll be fun to watch watch all of this change and morph into other types of media. But, my goodness. So, everybody, if you haven't seen the Whitey 18 stuff on TikTok, go check it out. It's A lot of the, the duets are just hilarious, and it's great entertainment. So mm-hmm. had to say something it's nice about that. It's entertainment for a change. Yeah. I mean, again, it's it's time to have a little bit of fun, you know, be lighthearted. And he did something so smart by using songs from the 80s that brought back great memories for people of an, a different time when things were a lot easier. It was a calmer time. Yes, that's right. That's right. God knows so, we could use a little of that these days, couldn't we? Oh, Exactly. Exactly. So a lot of fun to be had with all of that. So anyway, so on to our lucid dreaming topic tonight because this is power, people. This is where you can get real power in your life, and you can get it pretty quickly. And we've got an expert joining us tonight, Lee Adams. So if you are not already in touch with the power of your dreaming mind while listening to Lee tonight, He's going to show you the way, because it's time that you all learn what lies in the world of the lucid dreamer. There is so much richness. There is so much power there. It's a way out of the matrix. It's a way in to find out who you really are and to just face your soul. So Lee Adams is a researcher, and he has been practicing and teaching lucid dreaming for over 20 years. He has a bachelor's degree in psychology and he's currently pursuing his Ph.D. at Pacifica Graduate Institute. He also runs the podcast Cosmic Echo, as well as the dreamer community, taileaters.com. And he has a new book out. It is called A Visionary Guide to Lucid Dreaming, Methods for Working with a Deep Dream State. Lee, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me on with you guys. Well, we're happy to have you here. I think it's we both feel very strongly about this topic that people need to dive into it. So 
So tell us yep. a little bit about, about you and how you dove into it. What made you get interested? Yeah, um, well, I I was like a lot of people that I guess are interested in their dreams. I just, um, as a young kid, I had a great recall of my dreams, at least more so than probably the average person. And I spent a lot of my time annoying my mom with my <laughs> wild dream experiences. <laughs> Um, and she was kind enough to kind of encourage me to, to look deeper into the meaning of those things. And actually, um, she's very religious, so she spent a lot of emphasis on the relationship to the Bible and, and some of the characters in the Bible and talking about um, their dream experiences. So, you know, as a young uh, person, uh, I definitely took that to heart. And I was like, wow, you know, this is something in these dreams are sending me messages, you know, and what is the message? What is here? Um, so yeah, that, that's really like what got me interested in it and in that I had dream experiences and I wanted to learn more. And I also had strange dream experiences that I didn't think other people had. And I call those lucid dreams and where I would become aware in my dream that I was actually dreaming. And, and so that was very different than other people's experiences that I knew, and so I, you know, I, I wanted to find out what was going on. What, what are these things? What are these experiences? And so, it, you know, it, further on in my life, it kind of had this strange realization that other people really didn't pay attention to their dreams because I always kind of did. And also, you know, the mainstream kind of idea in science that dreams are just random uh, information, you know, that we're just regurgitating our previous day i i didn't find that true at all in my own personal experiences um and also you know i never really looked at dreams that way um before and i i it didn't seem like it fit my experience you know dreams always had something to tell me even if it was random and weird you know i would think about it throughout the day and and it would be useful to me in reflecting on those ideas and those messages in there and so, you know, I had a relationship with my dreams and um, probably not a healthy relationship because I didn't know what to do with them, you know, like there's no one really to teach me. So, you know, it's a lot of kind of school of hard knocks, you know, you're, you're learning as you go with, in dreams in our culture. Um, but, it, you know, it led me to um, continue to dive into this to figure out what it, other people had to say about those experiences. Um, further my experiences in dreams and eventually, you know, kind of get a, an idea what what's happening. Well, you've certainly started off on the right foot, having that incredible memory of your dreams. And I know a lot of people struggle with that. And in your book, you actually give some ideas of how to help that along. And there are actually are herbs people can take and vitamins and things. So we're going to get into all of that. So it isn't such a struggle for people because truly it is a powerful tool. I mean, it goes beyond being a tool. It's, it's something that indigenous people use to guide them through life. And mm-hmm. Right. It's something we're really lacking in this culture. It's another break in spiritual connection when you don't work with your dreams. So we're so happy that you're here to give (laughs) us ideas on how to make this work better and how to inspire people to really start this this journey 
with their own dreams. It is If you don't do this, everybody, you are leaving power on the table, and you're missing out. So Lee, tell us a little bit about the kinds of things that you teach people to do. How do you teach people to work with their dreams, to remember them, to work with them, to understand them? Sure, yeah. Um, well, first, I never really consider myself as an expert on dreams just because dreams are very personal to each individual in the sense that, you know, it's a, you're trying to have a relationship with a part of yourself that you really um, don't know. You know, in, in, in other cultures, you know, in other times on the planet, um, people may have had better relationships with their dreams and understood uh, those messages more because they interacted with dreams and the world in a symbolic way, you know, like a more um, in a different language and, and would listen. So dreams, I think, during those times would speak back to people, you know, they would they would express themselves in different ways than they do today. Um, so, you know, in today's culture, we don't really have a huge emphasis on dreams or trying to remember your dreams. But the more, you know, I, I think that's being, like you said, having a huge disservice to the individual because they're missing not only uh, another aspect to themselves, but they're also having this weird amnesia-like experience when they go to sleep, you know, which it could be a good portion of their life. And then they wake up and, and they're like, oh, you know, nothing really important happened during that time, so now I'm back to working, you know. Um, so, and and also the language that we use, to talk about dreams like we we talk about our our future hopes and desires as dreams but then we as a culture kind of uh dismiss these nighttime dream experiences so my question you know would be how does that affect you know your waking desires you know your dreams and in, in the waking world but um you know one thing that people can do right off the bat is essentially make uh have the intention that you desire to actually recall your dream and really make that present in your life. Um, dream, uh, being present and, and aware during your waking time is very reflective of your life when you're dreaming. So often people will have like a dream journal or something like that to, you know, uh, kind of reinforce this desire to recall the dream experiences. Um, other times people can use like, uh, what we call reality checks, essentially seeing if you're actually awake or asleep throughout the day so that when you wake up in a, when you go to actually asleep and you're in the dream experience, you may kind of bring in that awareness into your dream experience and go, wow, I'm actually, you know, I'm actually dreaming right now. Um, oftentimes, like, you know, checking your hands multiple times a day, um, asking yourself, you know, with full awareness as much as you possibly can, am I dreaming or am I awake? You know, those are very useful techniques in order to kind of show your desire to have awareness. You know, meditation, things like that, awareness training throughout the day, that will also reinforce this desire to be present and to be aware, not only in waking life, but also asleep. So those are just some of the basic, really basic techniques in order to kind of show your dreams that you want to remember them, show that you desire to be aware and awake, like why you're awake, and also be aware and bring consciousness, conscious awareness into the dream space. And and then you can have a communication with your dream. You can actually build dialogue, you know. Um, 
You're building a relationship, with, right? I mean, this is a relationship, right. and it takes some time and intention to build it. It's just like when you meet somebody, if you want a relationship, you have to put some time and effort into it. Same thing. But I have a question for you before you go on. You talk about looking at your hands, and I remember that technique in Carlos Castaneda's book um, about dreaming, and he mm-hmm. talked about it at length. But why? Why, why does that work? when you, you stare at your hands, because part of that te- whole technique is that when you do that when you're waking, if you actually can do it when you're asleep and you're conscious, that's a big step. So why? Why the hands? Well, I think in a, I think in a way actually using your bodily aspect of yourself is kind of a disservice to um, the, the ability to be lucid in a dream because – when you're dreaming, you don't really have a physical body. Um, most of the time, people don't really recall a body. They kind of just are a point of awareness kind of going around. Um, but then sometimes, you know, you look down and you're, you can look down and you can see body parts and things like that. And you're like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm me, I'm, I have a body and things like that. But really, like, the key element behind looking at your hands and, and other things, you know, it's not just always your hands. It could be like clocks or whatever, external objects, um, they're really just being present, you know. That's why, like, Tibetan dream yoga um, is really, I mean, Tibetan people, you know, that are very spiritual, they practice lucid dreaming, you know. And and a lot of techniques are associated with being present while you're awake, you know. So looking at your body, you know, and feeling tactile, all the sensations of actually being in a body, being a human, looking at your hands and saying, am I dreaming? Am I awake? Um, those are very deep questions, too, you know, in a way, because it's like, are you awake? Are you dreaming while you're awake? You know, is is being awake part of a dream kind of thing? So those are really, like, um, tickling, you know, your brain well, it, in ways that it, you've never really done before, I think. Right, because it sounds like what it does is it builds a bit of a bridge between the two worlds. Right. So that's very helpful, exactly. I would imagine, in doing this work. Yeah. I mean, as you said, relationship building, I think, is key a key element to dream work because I don't look at dreams as um, a tool. You know, as you implied, uh, you said that they're not a tool. It's like having a conversation, and I absolutely agree with that because I think um, treating it as another person, treating it as a part of you, treating it as something, you know, if you communicate with, to have communion with, I think it's very important because, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't treat your friend as a tool, like you said, you know, like you have dialogue, you put energy and work into it, you, you show them that you want to actually have communication with them, and then your friend meets you, you know, sometimes more than halfway, sometimes halfway. I think dreams absolutely meet you more than halfway. If you show the slightest bit of interest, you know, there's so much energy built up behind the dream content in our culture, you know, because it's been suppressed so much in our lives that it's just fighting to express itself. Um, Sometimes, you know, through some people experience like sleep paralysis and stuff. um, Because of that, I think it's such a high energetic buildup that it, it starts creeping into waking reality almost, you know. Yes, exactly. Well, there are some dream researchers that say that this is a dream. Even our waking reality is really a dream. So it's it's not a stupid question to ask when you're awake. Am I yes, dreaming? They're like nightmares, though, aren't they? <laughs> Lately. <laughs> <Waking> nightmares. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I think dreams have a lot of utility. You know, uh, people, I think today, a lot of people that are kind of uh, against dream work or whatever they want to call it are very like material. You know, they, they want to find utility in things so they can use it to make money or better their, their waking life. Well, what I'd say is dreams are actually very like uh, waking reality in the sense that things don't work in waking reality the way that we think they work. They're actually a lot more dreamlike uh, in, in many ways. And also, you know, like um, if you can, you see the dream and you can interact with the dream, you start noticing similarities to waking reality and also like people's attitudes and things like that, you know? So um, psychology is a big part of uh, the working environment that we're in because we deal with other people most of the time and people are very dynamic and and confusing for many people. So, um, you know, working with your dreams in that space, absolutely has a great utility because it builds empathy for other people. You can relate to them. You know, if somebody's acting out or something like that, it's very dreamlike in that sense. So you can build a lot of school or tools why, you know, from dreams, I think. Uh, to well, yeah, you can work life. out a lot of problems in your dreams. I mean, people have written symphonies in their dreams. Some of the great composers said mm-hmm. that that's where they, they, they did their best work was in dreams creating these amazing pieces of music. But there's there's a lot to it. But what I've heard a lot from people, oh, I had the stupid dream last night. Well, I don't see any dream as stupid. <laughs> it's The people having them might not understand the language that the dreaming mind is using, but it's a language barrier. It's It's not that the dream is stupid, right? Right, exactly, yeah. Um, I've had my own share of dreams that when I woke up they – made zero sense to me. Um, you know, I wouldn't call them stupid, but, uh, maybe I've used that term before, but, um, there's something to be said about kind of throwing something away, you know, Oh, it's, it's meaningless. You know, it's like, I don't really want to pay attention to that. It's, there's more to it than, than what I'm giving off, you know, and there's a lot going on there that I'm not ready to deal with right now. So maybe I just chuck it away as being meaningless, random information, uh, another thing you brought up is like the language of dreams. Um, you know, symbolic language is a uh, sometimes thought of as a much more advanced language style than, say, um, the language that you and I use. You know, it's uh, very complex. It's deep. It uh, it doesn't imply that those things are um, surface level real in the sense that you you know we typically uh, describe things as real. I think of symbols and dreams as bridges to um, more powerful things. They're like uh, bridge gaps, you know. They're they're building a bridge to you so you can relate to it and you can have a conversation with it. But in a sense, these are much deeper, powerful things than really that meet the eye as an image or an experience in a dream. There's there's much more to them. So, um, you know, a, a lot of people have problems interacting with their dreams because of that language gap and the barrier but one thing, you know, that I encourage is lucid dreaming because um, lucid dreaming allows for, say, you to bring in your language skills into the dream experience and have this communication between, uh, say, dream characters, a dream environment, and really have a conversation in, in English and, or in your own, you know, spoken language. 
So um, I don't necessarily mean uh, that people will control their dreams in lucid dreams. Like that's a, that's not really in my definition. It doesn't mean uh, controlling. It means just having awareness when you're in a dream experience. So um, that's why I really encourage uh, lucid dreaming because it allows you to start kind of uh, communicating, you know, have a language and, and the dream will talk back to you in, in your language that you can understand. And then, you know, you, you can start seeing other aspects of your dreams, other symbols in your dreams in a language because you're starting to learn it. You know, it's like, if you, uh, if you went to Japan and you didn't speak the language of the Japanese, um, no one would really have a good conversation, but it, you know, if you go order food or anything like that, they put pictures on the menus so that you know what you're ordering, at least some sense. And then it has a word there, you know, maybe sometimes in English, probably not. But you may pick up on the language and start learning to associate words to the pictures and build dialogue with people. And, and eventually you engage with them and, and now you're part of the culture and then other things are happening, you know, to yourself, like um, how you dress, how you act, all these things that really you didn't expect to happen just from learning another language or another culture. So um, dreams are the same way. They express themselves. Yeah. Yeah. They express themselves in such a way and allow you to grow. Yeah. Well, and that's what it's all about. You know, our tension is always so external in our culture and especially today. I know PK, you and I have talked about this at, at length about all of the distractions, you know, look here, not there. It's it's a lot. It's like you're. I think you even said this. It's like our head would be on a swivel uh, with all of these changes. This being a year of change, as you predicted, PK. So, it's a lot to take in, and the dreamy mind it can give you some respite from the storm as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's and amazing. it can also um, allow you to see, you know, those distractions for what they are distractions. You know, you can. Um, you can look internally for some of the answers that you're looking externally for right now. You know, we, we look to the news, we look at to the media, we look at, you know, politicians, we look at scientists, we look at all these external things telling us things to believe, but, you know, we don't listen to our own uh, gut, we don't listen to our own head, we don't listen to our own dreams. And, you know, there's, to me, it's very obvious why, things kind of deteriorate at that point, you know, like creativity goes down and eventually a culture kind of deteriorates uh, on its well, own. And people are reasons. easily then misled. I mean, they are mm-hmm. easily misled. If you don't Absolutely. have that deeper connection with yourself and the ability to reason appropriately and look through the veils that are being thrown out in front of you, yeah, mm-hmm. you could just believe the hype and really endanger yourself. Absolutely. Yeah, dreams, I think, one of the greatest lessons to dreams are, for me, is, um, you know, what you see is not always uh, what's happening, you know. There's there's a lot going on behind the veil, as you called it, you know, that um, that's going on that you can start exploring on your own, but when you're told something, you know, um, that's there's generally more going on than just uh, what that person's saying, you know, and and the same thing with dreams is you encounter something in your dreams and you see it as um, an image. There's a lot more going on there than just the image that you're presented. There's a lot of energy behind that that's really 
built up to communicate you a very specific um, idea, you know. And it's so interesting that, you know, like we we kind of take these waking experiences, you know, scientists or whatever telling us things, and we know there's a lot of work and energy going behind that, you know, and that's why it should be considered as important to us. But then when it comes to dreams and we see this image in a dream, you know, this very well put together image, uh, very emotionally impacting, you know, auditory, visual, all the whole the whole shebang, and we assume that just this random noise, you know, it's like there's so much energy and information behind that experience that every dream is is absolutely vital uh, to what it's being told to you. You know, it doesn't mean like believe everything the dream says, just as you hopefully wouldn't believe every uh, proclaimed self-proclaimed scientist that goes on TV. You know, um, but. Uh, but I've never heard, I mean, it. I've sat in many dream groups, and I have never heard a dream that uh, that really didn't, wasn't worth listening to. I mean, the dreams, in my opinion, they just, they come from your soul. They're, they're trying to help you, direct you, uncover things you might not be able to uncover any other way. They take you into mysterious realms if you have the self-awareness to do something like that, as Carlos Castaneda did throughout his series right. of books you know, and traveling through different dimensions and being able to hold your consciousness on point. I mean, that's a real skill. And it, with mm-hmm. Castaneda, I will tell this story because I worked with a psychiatrist <laughs> named Stu Twemlow at the Monroe Institute years and years and years, too many years to even count <laughs> ago. And he told me a story that Castaneda was working with one of the institutes in California and they asked him to do a dream experiment, and he agreed. So they got 15 people together, and they said, keep track of your dreams, and if anything unusual happens, call the Institute in the morning. So they kept track of their dreams over a period of time, and then one morning they all called in to the Institute, every one of them, and they said, Carlos Castaneda walked into my dream last night and said, hi, I'm Carlos Castaneda, Please make sure you call the Institute in the morning. Every single one of them <laughs> called the Institute in the morning with that dream. So, again, that's the possibilities. Once you learn to navigate those mm-hmm. areas of consciousness, I mean, they're they're endless. They're endless. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, I, I've been in the position, like many other people, where, I want to I want to know if dreams are real or not, you know, and, and use those words, you know, it's like, well, what does does that mean, you know, it's like real, but, uh, you know, I, I spend a lot of time and energy kind of doing the same thing, like, be like, okay, are these things real, are they not, are they able to affect, uh, affect reality, so-called reality and all that, and I've had shared dream experiences, too, that are undeniably, for me, proof that, a proof enough that I need to stop asking those questions, you know, like, yeah. of course, that's how it works. Um, so, it, you know, it's it's funny um, to look back in the past of who I used to be, you know, and be like, oh, my gosh, like, I can't believe I was doing that, you know, like, really questioning this aspect of it. It's so obvious to me that dreams and reality are intertwined together. And, of course, that's, you know, uh, why it happened that way. But, well, yeah, because people you know, I, say, well, you know, I dreamt about a snake because I saw a show on snakes on TV. But that's right. not the answer because 
How many other shows did you watch? How many other images did you see that day before the dream? Why was the snake singled out? So there's always a meaning to that. There's always a reason that the dreaming mind chooses one symbol over another, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's become... um, I realize that it's not my place to really try to prove things to people about their dreams or even waking experiences um, that it's on the individual, you know, there's, there's enough data and information and personal experience if they really want to have it to, to get to the source of the answer for themselves. And I'm not really going to be the person that does that for them. You know, Um, you guys mentioned before, you know, like the UFO stuff. Um, I, I have encountered two UFOs in my life. Uh, one, I was uh, I was a civilian, and I had a witness with me. And then the second one, I was in the military, and I had about 15 other witnesses with me. And so to me, it's never been a question of, you know, if UFOs are real or not. The same thing as dreams, you know, are they important or not? It's never really been a question to me because I've had those experiences, and, you know, it's just it's something that happened. It's like, okay there's no real debate in my mind, but you know, for a lot of other people, they will, you know, fight these things till they're blue in the face saying like dreams are meaningless. You know, it's like, what does that have to do with it? What does that tell you about that person? You know? And, and if they could have the self-reflection to go like, why am I so against this thing that is like obviously happening to people normally, you know? And um, why am I so against interacting with that thing, you know? Yeah, why why are they so skeptical? Yeah, I think that shows a lot about who they are and their relationship to reality and their spiritual life and all that, you know, all in the one. They're they're going through a journey just like you and I are, and that's their journey, you know, is is living through this this life of being skeptical about everything, you know, (laughs) and... And hopefully they'll, you know, come to the realization. Oh, they're just holding on desperately to, to one aspect of reality. It's not the whole thing. Yeah. But, but yeah. Let, me, let me ask you another question. I'm going to take you a, a, on a side trip here with our audience sure. because this is an interesting one, and you said you'd like to talk about this. There is something called sleep paralysis. So tell us what that is and what happens and why. So, yeah, sleep paralysis is kind of a confusing term because if you look up the definition of sleep paralysis, it's essentially what it says. You're you're asleep um, and you're paralyzed. So there's a natural process that happens to every single person at night, uh, well, most of us, is that when we go to sleep, our body puts us to, um, puts our body to sleep, paralyzes it, so it doesn't act out through dreams. And the only body part that isn't paralyzed is the eyes, and that's why you see, like, people's eyes moving back and forth. Um, but then people, some people may sleepwalk, and that's obviously they're not paralyzed, so um, the mechanism that puts them to sleep isn't working properly. Um, but there's other things that are associated with um, sleep paralysis that you often hear about, and those are not just being paralyzed and not being able to move, which is terrifying in its own right if, you're not, uh, if you don't understand what's happening to you. Um, but they also have this thing called visitations. Uh, that's what I use and uh, a friend of mine, Ryan Hurd, uses is visitations, which is essentially uh, mainstream science will say that it's uh, waking hallucinations. So you're essentially seeing things that aren't there while you're paralyzed and you can't move. 
And that well, combination it, together can be very terrifying. Well, yeah, because a lot of people, and this is global, talk about the old hag, seeing the old hag, this woman yes. with white hair kind of blowing in the wind, um, and it's very frightening. What is yeah, the old um, hag? Why that one that so many people see well, people, when they're paralyzed? people do see different things. Uh, people do see different things. So you're talking about uh, New Finland. They... In their culture, they have what's called hagging. Essentially, they curse people to have an older lady, you know, show up and um, put them in sleep paralysis and pretty much torment them while they're sleeping. Um, and it's very common there. So that's what they use. And um, But in some other places, not to discredit, you know, the validity to that experience, they see other things too, Um and and you can find other cultures around the world talking about sleep paralysis um, in their own way. You know, sometimes they call them different things, obviously, because of language and culture. But um, there are commonalities, cross-cultural commonalities, with sleep paralysis in the visitations that they see, um, oftentimes like a shadow figure, um, like green, Grim Reaper-looking character, um, and, you know, dead people, uh, people that look like they're passed away or gnomes and all kinds of different creatures that typically don't show up in waking reality. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a very bizarre experience if you um, ever have that. And some people, you know, have these experiences very uncontrollably. They, they have them almost every single night. Um, and, they, and they really kind of suffer with that. Um, and to try to understand what that is. And, and it's so fearful and surrounded by fear that people don't really want to look at that, you know. Like even the people that experience it, they just want it to end as quickly as possible. And the real solution that seems to be the most effective is essentially um, allowing the experience to happen. Because, uh, you know, in the scientific aspect of it, the paralysis, the body naturally is trying to put you to sleep. It doesn't want you to move. So right now, you know, if you if you were in sleep paralysis, you're you're almost asleep. You're actually still partially awake, and your body is trying to put you to sleep. So if you relax and allow yourself to relax as much as you possibly can in that situation, your body will eventually put you into a dream, and you'll um, you'll no longer feel the paralysis. Not to say that the visual <laughs> experience of um, an emotional and sometimes physical experience of the visitation will go away, but you will no longer feel like you're unable to move. So, um, you know, that's why I really encourage people to do is kind of first uh, research, you know, what sleep paralysis is and kind of the effects of that and what it feels like and all that. And then try to, um, if you know, if you experience it, to try to relax as much as you possibly can because that will help you kind of assist your body in doing its normal thing, uh, which is put you into paralysis and asleep. So. Well, I had an experience with the old hag once, and hmm. I felt something was, you know how you feel someone staring at you? I was oh, yeah. sound asleep. Well, somebody staring at me, my, I opened my eyes, and there was her face, like right in front of mine. And I screamed my ass off. I, I mean, it was so startling. You know, you, you expect to open your eyes and see nothing, but here was mm-hmm. this floating head. 
and and it woke me right up. I mean, I, I finally was able to move, and I just sat straight up in bed. Yeah, so, yeah. It, it it was very powerful. But here's the other thing I wondered about, because a lot of people do have this experience, and like I said, it's not just. Uh, the old hag appears in every country. So right. I think she's a guardian because yeah. when you're in between sleeping and waking and you're in between the two worlds, right? So to me, I was thinking, I bet she's a guardian. She shows up when you're about to move into another reality and I don't know any more about it than yeah. what I'm just kind of, you know, hypothesizing here. But I think she shows up for a reason. Like a safety net? Maybe. You know, maybe to keep you from going into mm-hmm. that other dimension. Yeah. Well, you're you're not alone in that assumption. Um, if, you, if anybody's read Rudolf Steiner's work, uh, and he made um, uh, a group called Theosophy, uh, or anthosophy, he uh, had this idea that essentially the the visitations, uh, he doesn't, he calls it a guardian of the threshold. And I talk about this in my book. Um, and he implies that this guardian is there to really challenge you from entering into, say, past the veil, right? And mm-hmm. so normally, you know, most people are not aware and they, they, they enter a dream and they encounter it and then they wake up. For people that have some type of lucidity, uh, they're bringing awareness into the dream. They encounter these things often, and he implied that really it's there to challenge you and say, are you, are you ready to, to enter this other world, to really engage with that? Are you prepared enough? And so he implied that you know, it's there to challenge you and to make it so that um, you know, if you're not ready, then you kind of – take a break and do something else or if you are ready um, and maybe that's the reason it's challenging you let's say um, then you have to kind of overcome that thing you have to build a relationship with it and move past it in order to go into the threshold which is the the in between the veil of you know waking reality and sleep and then pass into that other dimension say yeah, uh, I yeah, agree it makes that. makes sense. <laughs> I mean, it's and TK, I like what you said about the safety net. Mhm. Because that makes a lot of sense. Because I think based on what you just said and Lee, what you're talking about, it's it just it seems that yeah, they're they're going to send you back <laughs> to where you belong. Yeah. Yep. Unless mm-hmm. you've had that kind of you know shamanic training that yeah, allows definitely. you to keep your wits about you in these other realities. That's a tough thing to do. So, yeah. Um, how many shamans I, have I, talked about this? Yeah, I, I had sleep paralysis, um, and I, I still have it ever since my first experience. But essentially, I wasn't really doing anything. I, I really don't consider myself ever having any type of shamanic initiation or like these skills <laughs> that you, you know, Carl Castaneda had or whatever. Um, so I'm a pretty normal person, but suddenly, you know, out of nowhere, I started encountering sleep paralysis with vis- visitations um, almost con- constantly. So much so that it was disrupting my sleep for work. And I was getting really uh, upset, you know, uh, because uh, it was just destroying my life. And 
uh, thankfully, you know, I had the internet at the time and, and I researched, you know, these things like what is happening to me. These things are, these things visiting me each night and just tormenting me. And, you know, I read, uh, eventually that you just have to face this thing and you have to overcome it. And I was like, well, I don't know what that means, but I'm so sick and tired of this thing attacking me every night because I can't sleep that I'm just going to try it, you know? And I think being so tired and just sick of it, that it pushed me to the edge that I finally was like, I'm doing this, you know? And, and I ended up, um, you know, having it attack me again. And then, uh, and I fought back essentially and it went away. Um, and it's in my book too, <laughs> uh, much more detailed, but, um, the long gist of it is like that each of us, these are terrifying experiences for most people, like really scary. And, so it's not an easy thing to say, oh, you just got to, you know, get over it. You know, you got to just work through this thing. It's, it challenges you to the core, as you probably experienced, you know. And so yeah. it's not something easy. And and it, it takes everything that you have to really face this thing and move past it. And however you do that, you know, is, is your way of doing it. But, um, you know, it, if you if you fail the challenge, let's just say, I don't think there's such a thing as failure in this space, but if you, if it's not the right time, don't feel bad because there's countless people out there that also have these experiences that aren't really talking about it. And, um, you know, and, and each one of us is being challenged in our own way. And, you know, my goal is to hopefully help people kind of assist them into getting over that hump, you know, or to at least acknowledge what's happening to them so they can, they can understand it in some way. Yeah, and one of the things that I was taught many years ago about any tough time in your dreams where you're scared, you're being chased, that you can call on your dream allies, which would be people in this reality that you trust. And you can Hmm. just ask them in this reality, would you be my dream ally? So if I get into trouble in my dreams, I can call on you. And I've seen people do that very successfully so that when they're caught in the dream between a rock and a hard place, they call on their dream allies and their dream allies show up to help them. Definitely. And isn't that a great technique? I love that one. Yeah, I think it would be very useful for people. Um, unfortunately, you know, it's, it's not something that I really um, believed in, you know, or even thought of the option for most of my life. So um, I spent a lot of time struggling by myself in these experiences yeah. trying to sure. fight them or whatever um but you're you're talking about uh the importance of trans uh transformative dream experiences and um i think i have an example of that in in a sleep paralysis like visitation experience that really um changed me as a person I, i'd be glad to tell your listeners about it if you yeah let's like. hear yeah so um you know, I was encountering, ever since my first sleep paralysis experience, I was encountering uh, visitations pretty often with different beings or whatever. And um, in many of those cases, I, I would fight them off. You know, I'd, I would physically, in the dream, attack these things. And I was very proud of myself for that, which, um, you know, looking back, wasn't <laughs> it's not exactly a proud thing. But... Um, you know, I, I was in a Buddhist class at the time, so I went and told my teacher, you know, I was, I, was, I was trying to impress him, to be honest, and 
I told him about my dream experiences and me having these crazy dreams and, um, and me fighting off these things and all that. And, and he just looked at me with such like, uh, sadness. He was like, why would you fight your, you know, your dreams? And he's like, why don't you just sit down and have a conversation with them? And I was mm. like, Oh, what? <laughs> so, yeah. uh, it was pretty, it was pretty strong slap in the face, you know? And, but I went home and I took it to heart and I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to try this. So the next time I had a visitation, um, I had lucidity and, and I, I, so I, I opened my door to my, my room and I walked down the hallway and I had that feeling that you're describing of kind of the eyes watching you, you know, mm-hmm. and I turned around and sure enough, you know, there's, there's the thing, the dreaded thing. And it just happens to be, um, a zombie at that time. And so I was like, ah, oh, here we go. You know, zombies are my favorite. <laughs> Terrify me as a child, you know. And, and so the zombie comes walking down the hallway, and I I know that it just wants to eat my brains because that's the zombie that I saw as a kid, you know. And right. so I, I bowed my head down to the zombie, and it took a giant chunk out of my head, and uh-huh. I felt everything, you know. And I just didn't move, and I was just like, you know, I know this is a dream. I know the zombie, you know, is whatever, and I'm just going to let it do its thing. And so, it, you know, it did its thing, and then suddenly it was quiet, just absolutely pure quiet. And I look up, and I and I and the zombie's just staring at me. And and I go, hey, you know, sit down and let's sit down and have a conversation. And it's like, okay. And so it sat down with me, and I go, what? What's what's wrong? And it said, I'm unsatisfied. And I go, what are you unsatisfied about? And he said, I'm unsatisfied. And as it was doing this, I noticed that it wasn't a zombie. It was actually, a, it was a copy of myself. And and I was like, wow, oh, this is weird. And then down the hallway, um, I see another creature, you know, walking towards us. And it turns out to be another zombie. And I go, hey, sit down with us, you know. And so there's all three, there's the three of us sitting down. And they turn to each other and they pull out wires from their stomach, like electrical wires, and they like exchange the wires together and then they merged into each other and then they merged into me and I immediately woke up. Now I I can't for the life of me really tell you at the time, you know, what that dream was about. I was like, that was weird. But throughout my life, you know, I started looking at the images of that dream and what that could have meant. And really, you know, built a relationship with that dream experience after the fact. And I realized how much healing actually occurred in my life during that period of time without me really being aware of it. And, um, you know, like the image of a, a zombie is very powerful in, in, in the fact that it's that it was unsatisfied because zombies, as we know, are unsatisfied creatures. You know, they, they devour, they can't, they're consumers to the extreme. They can't stop you know, eating and devouring things and, and they're never happy. And it's like, Oh, this is an aspect of myself, you know? And also the, the fact that I was kind of divided into different fragmented pieces of myself, you know? Um, and then those things uniting back into themselves and then uniting to me and changing too, as they were doing that, that, that is a deep experience that I can't even put into words, you know? from the the results of that. So that was a very transformative dream, and it really changed my perspective on the importance of looking at dream experiences as real, 
not attacking everything that's there, you know, as an aggressive monster <laughs> because yeah. they see you as monsters and really listening to them, what they have to say, because in this case, there are aspects of myself, you know, they were fragmented pieces of myself that um, really, you know, I, I wanted to engage with. It just makes me, you know, think about all the times and all the images and everything in the dream that, you know, you're, you're really discrediting if you say uh, they're not important. They could be aspects of yourself that you're, you're, you're discrediting too, you know, say it's all in the mind. Well, what aspects of your mind are you just throwing away as trash when really, you know, it's, they're really wanting to engage with you and, and possibly heal from, you know. And that is, in fact, a shamanic way to how do you reach that level of enlightenment by accepting every single part of yourself. So that makes a big difference. But that's a very powerful experience that you had that, like you said, it changed you for the better. And this is the kind of thing people are missing out on if they don't delve into this a little further. So give us some other ideas on how to become aware in our dreams, how to actually do lucid dreaming. Now, we've seen machines advertised, little lights. <laughs> I mean, does those yeah. work? Does that help? There's herbs we can do. We've got to get into all of that stuff. So what do we do? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, again, I'll go back to what my Buddhist teacher said in one of my papers I wrote for him. He, he wrote on the top KISS, and it really was confusing what he was trying to say to me at the time because I didn't understand that acronym. Yeah, and I thought he was trying to hit on me. <laughs> I honestly thought he was trying to hit on me. I was like, what is going on here? Um, but after a friend was like, hey, dude, uh, stop being stupid. I was like, what? And he was like, KISS, keep it simple, stupid. I was like, oh, geez. Oftentimes, the more complicated we make um, these things, the more complicated they get and the less we're successful in them. So I go back to the basics. Um, All the, you know, expensive stuff that you can buy in line, most of that stuff I have bought and tried, and some of them worked, but some of them also didn't really work for me. Um, So it's really on the individual, but we have the tools available to us without all these expensive gadgets and stuff to really engage with our dreams naturally. And it's very easy if uh, you keep it simple. And so I go to the research, right? The research shows that there's two techniques that are the most effective. There's lots of different techniques. And, and some of these techniques that you find on the internet may work really well for you as they do for some other people. But the research shows that the most effective ones are, like the, uh, it's called wake back to bed, uh, wake back to bed and mild and wake back to bed. Essentially you go to sleep, you get your normal rest for the period of time that you nor- normally rest, but then you wake up for a period of time and then you go back to sleep. That's really it. And for a lot of people, you know, that, that can be really challenging because when you wake up, you know, your body wants to wake up and go do the things that you normally do for the day. So, you know, a good technique to use with that is kind of sleep for a shorter period of time than you normally would, and you're still a little tired, you know, when you wake up. Stay up for a period of time. I I stay up for around 60 minutes or so, and then I go back to sleep. And uh, it works very well for me because I naturally can easily go back to sleep if I lay down on the bed. 
and I could take naps and stuff like that. But some people, you know, that's really challenging. They may need additional assistance. But um, the main yeah, thing with some that people, is... people, I mean, they can't, once they wake up, they can't get back to sleep. So right. it's a bit of a risk. Yeah. And I have definitely been there. Sorry, go ahead. I said it's it's very difficult. Like I was up at 3.30 this morning, and I could not go back to sleep. I would start to doze off, and and I'm automatically right back up again. Oh yeah, yeah, I've been there many times. So and it's not like um, you know, it's not like a consistent thing too. Sometimes you know, like sometimes I'll I'll go to sleep, then I'll wake up, and then I I can't I start thinking too much, you know, or whatever. Um, things start popping up, you know, phones ringing or whatever is going on, and suddenly I I I'm done, you know. There's no going back to sleep for me. And even sometimes I've laid there for long periods of time without going, you know, thinking I'm going to fall asleep. I've sat there and been like, this is never going to work. I'm never going to sleep. This is why I'm wasting my time. I should just get up and go do some things. But then at the moment where I'm like, this is not going to work, I I immediately start having the sensations of falling asleep. Um, And it's kind of weird because most people don't really – uh, experience what it feels like to fall asleep being awake. And so, um, but once you experience it once or twice, then you kind of understand the feeling and you're like, okay, my body's naturally putting me to sleep and now I'm going to start dreaming. And you get to have that whole experience, which is very unique. Um, another technique, which is very useful and, and more useful, I think for people that have the problem of going back to sleep, like, um, like you, you may, um, is the mild technique. And the mild technique was created by, um, or at least said to be created by Stephen LeBerg, who is uh, one of the main people associated with proving lucid dreaming exists in their research. And the mild technique is essentially um, kind of like to wake back to bed. But in this case, you're going to go to sleep, and then you wake up, in, in the middle of the night due to having a dream or whatever. Most people wake up a few times at night and you just be kind of aware of that waking up process. You know, they're like, oh, okay, I'm awake. I'm going to remember being awake kind of thing, right? So you're mm-hmm. waking yourself up a little bit by doing that. And so then you're going to recall the dream that you just had as if you were lucid in it. So let's just say I was riding a bike in my dream and you know, that, that was all that was happening in the dream. I was riding a bike and I was talking to people in my dream and I wake up and I remember that dream. I'm like, okay. You know, I obviously wasn't aware. I was playing the character of me riding the bike and talking to people and doing that whole thing. So, but now I'm going to imagine what I would have done if I was lucid in that dream. So I'm riding the bike and suddenly I get awareness, you know, I'm like, Oh, I'm dreaming. What am I going to do? Maybe I fly or something like that, you know. Maybe I get off the bike and I go talk to the the characters in my dream. I'm like, oh, what do you have to say? What are you thinking, you know, that kind of stuff. And then while I'm thinking that, I'm going to go back to sleep now. So I'm laying there and thinking about this dream as if I became lucid. And now I'm going back to sleep with the intention of having a lucid dream. So I'm like, I'm going to have a lucid dream and... I'm remembering the last dream as if I was lucid. This, I think, it works very well based on the research. And 
I think the reason that it works so well is because, like you uh, both brought up before, this bridge, a bridge between the dream world and the waking world, and you're showing how interact. You're you're kind of talking in the language of the dream by remembering the last dream, and then you're putting your own language in it, saying, "I want awareness in it, so I can communicate. I desire to communicate." And then you go back to bed, and hopefully your next dream will be lucid because your dream's like, I know your language. Let's have a talk, you know. So I think that's what's happening, but obviously no one really knows for sure, right? Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> um, but those two techniques it sounds are like very an easier, effective. an easier technique in some ways to use to induce lucid dreaming. Yes, and yes. Um, for some people it's very, you know, one is more effective than the other. Um, I was in the military for quite a long time, and so it wasn't uncommon for me to wake up really early in the morning and then go work out in the military. But I was always the person that liked to take naps right after that, so I'd get home, take a shower, and then take a nap real quick. And because I was you know, actually performing wake back to bed without really knowing it at the time, it was very effective for me. And then eventually I figured out why, you know. But no, not everybody is a morning riser or <laughs> um, forced to rise in the morning like that. And so in that sense, the, the mild technique probably be more effective for those people. Yeah, I think it's a little easier, a little more manageable. Yeah. yeah. So now you've worked with a lot of people. And tell people about your website, too, and because you have a Dreamer community platform. So what do you do there? Yeah. Well, um, I created the website in order to hopefully share my experiences with other people as well as, like, my research that I was um, I was going through, really just trying to figure things out. And I wanted to have, like, a history kind of histogram of what, you know, what was going on with me at that time and also, like, kind of take other people through this journey um, that I'd hopefully, you know, end up on the other side a better person than I was when I started. Um, so I kind of, that's why I started it. Um, it wasn't necessarily make a community or anything like that. It was just like a way to display information. Um, what has kind of morphed out of that is like communities. And one community is very much uh, associated with dreams and consciousness and stuff, and that's uh, Tail Eaters. And um, Tail Eaters is represented by the Ouroboros, and Tail Eaters is actually a word that uh, Carl Jung used to describe the Ouroboros. And mm-hmm. oddly enough, I found that out after the fact that I um, made the website, made all these um, no for years, you know. <laughs> yeah, so it was pretty surprising to actually see, you know, Carl Jung called <laughs> the Ouroboros a tail eater. And yeah. that kind of, you know, uh, drove me to under- understand this relationship to symbolic uh, meaning, universal symbols, uh, dream symbols, and stuff like that, and what's going on with that. But, um yeah, so the website is, it has tons of information on it from, uh, but it, it's not just dream-based. It has stuff on psychedelics, uh, consciousness, um, uh, symbolic understanding of images and things like that, and then obviously a large emphasis on dreams in, in there as well. And there's guest posters that I have, too, that post uh, um, their articles on there as well. And then there's... Uh, 
a Facebook group and also like a Discord, kind of a new chat system that people use, um, where mm-hmm. people can talk about their dream and these these deep experiences that um, people have. And there's like a very diverse group of people on there because some of them are more material scientists uh, trying to find out things, you know, prove things or whatever. Um, and then there's much more people that are, you know, very spiritual, um, spiritual healers, uh, people, you know, have astral projections and all that stuff. So it's very diverse, but oddly enough, you know, we, for the most part, get along. And um, I think I've learned a lot from these people. And, and really, you know, my desire to get people together was to learn from them and to listen and really see what they um, – listen to their experiences and try to see what they experienced, you know, through their eyes. And that's really helped me grow in, in ways that I never expected. So, you know, my, um, I obviously keep it running and not so much for myself, but I realize it's such a powerful, um, helping, such a powerful helper, you know, for people that have, that go through it, you know, and everyone, everyone there seems to really enjoy it. So, um, that's great. That's pretty much my main off there, yeah. Now, talk to us about, you have this written in your book, the things that we can consider taking. Obviously, check with your doctor first, you know the drill. But there are herbs and vitamins and things like that, amino acids that people can take to help them with better recall and to help them become lucid. So what are they? Yeah, I mean... um Supplements, uh, what we call supplements, drugs, etc., all change our consciousness and also um, our our experience of waking reality. So it would make sense that they affect our dreams as well, and they absolutely do. And so some supplements suppress um, certain stages of sleep, like REM and things like that, so that you can encounter what's called REM rebound. And then, um, and since the science uh, suggests that the more REM that you have, the more dreaming that you're having. So typically when we go to sleep, um, we we kind of come in and out of this REM stage as we progress through the night. But as we continue to sleep more throughout the night, the REM stage actually increases over time. And so another thing, too, is that if you suppress REM, um, for whatever reason, REM will rebound later when the suppression is no longer there, and that means that it will increase. Um, but it also increased with um, uh, with interest. And so that means that it requires the amount of REM that you would normally get plus more. So you're really, like, getting a lot of REM uh, with those things. So some supplements are useful in that sense that they kind of suppress um, REM for a period of time and then allow it to kind of unload on you, and then you have a better chance of becoming lucid because you're actually in a dream state, and you also have a better chance of remembering it because you'll probably wake up near near some time that you're in the dream because it's at the end of the or early in the morning, you know, when you typically right. wake up. Well, you so have a nice that, list here of, of a lot of things people can consider taking. One is oh, yeah. melatonin, uh, which really surprises me. Why melatonin? Mm-hmm. Well, melatonin helps a lot of people go to sleep, so um, yeah, it's very it useful in the yeah. sense that yeah, it's useful in the sense that um, 
it's assisting your brain into producing the chemical processes that normally would happen if you had enough melatonin. Oddly, you know, our culture is very light-based, so at night, when we're supposed to be asleep, we, we like to stay awake. Um, so mm-hmm. melatonin isn't produced as much because melatonin is produced in the pineal gland, and the only way that it's ever activated that starts producing melatonin is through the absence of absolute light. So if you even have a night light in your room, and even any light that comes through your eyelids, even with them closed, can enough to stop the pineal gland from producing melatonin. So most of us um, fit in that category <laughs> based on all the yeah. electronics we have going on in right. our house. All these lights night. on. Yeah. Yeah. So melatonin would be a great um, supplement to supplement your already defective <laughs> melatonin levels. So um, that's why I encourage that. Bad light reality here. What about yeah. this one? Is, am I pronouncing it right? It's galantamine. Yeah, galantamine. So I put a lot of emphasis on galantamine because I have a very love-hate relationship with that um, supplement, in the sense that it's. Um, it's completely changed my life. So if anything in your life has changed dramatically, I think the, you can have a love-hate relationship with it. Um, but glontamine is really interesting because it's actually a memory aid. Um, it's used in Europe as a medication that's prescribed for Alzheimer's. And for whatever reason, in America, we it's not a prescription. It's um, something you can buy on Amazon or many different websites. Um, and That's even nice some lucid for a Yeah. Yeah, nice yeah. for Americans, not so much for Europeans. Um, so the uh but that increases um the mind's ability to really recall things. So if you use it at night in certain ways, um it increases the recall and also the awareness that you can experience in a dream. So I don't recommend people take that um unless they're really trying to kinda assist themselves in having those experiences because I think that naturally most of us can have these experiences without really um, taking anything external. But, you know, for some people, the getting that little help, you know, I think plants are helpers, you know, they assist us in healing, assist us in changing your consciousness. And so they're helpers, but they're not something that I necessarily think people should kind of, um, you know, bank on each time and kind of abuse or anything. So, um, but glontamine is a very powerful plant. I personally think that glontamine is so powerful that it should be considered a hallucinogen, not in the sense that it makes you see stuff while you're awake, you know, and hallucinate, um, but in the sense that it creates such powerful dream experiences that um, can sometimes be over <laughs> overwhelming. So, and with um, that, now, do you take that, like, right before you go to sleep? Um, well, no. Uh, you should take it in conjunction with uh, wake back to bed. Um, and the reason for this is because if I, I – I'm somebody that can go to sleep easily, as I said before. But if I lucky take glontamine – what's that? Sorry. I said lucky you. <laughs> I know, yeah. Well, lucky and not lucky. It's not so – so lucky in the military where I'm trying to stay asleep all the time, but <laughs> for normal <laughs> time, it's pretty good. Um, but the, uh, for me, um, even if I take, if I take a lot to me before I go to bed, even with me, it's 
near impossible to go back to sleep. Um, I, I have tried and it's just, it's the most uncomfortable feeling, not just laying there. You know, everyone's had that experience where you're just laying there and nothing's happening, you know? And you're like, I just want to go to bed. Now I can't. Now I'm up to like six in the morning, just staring at the ceiling, you know, and what am I doing? So not, not recommended to take prior to going to sleep, but, um, so when do you take it? I use it in conjunction to wake back to bed. So I'll wake up and I'll take a long to mean, and I'll wait, um, about 45 minutes for it to be very active because there's a, there's a time period where it doesn't hit. It's, you know, it's peak time period is around an hour. Um, so then I'm at its peak and then I go back to sleep and I can tell you, it's still really challenging for me to go back to sleep challenging enough that it allows me to bring awareness into the dream without falling asleep. So in a sense, you know, it, it's more like a shot of caffeine in a way, you know, in the sense that it kind of amps you up, you know, but it amps you up in such a way that's really more mental focus and awareness versus like um, your adrenal glands going crazy. So yeah. It it works oh, totally different. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting it's a very interesting plant. Um it's derived from uh red spider lily or um snowdrop lily. And if you look up those plants, there's a lot of interesting <laughs> imagery based on those plants from the cultures they come from. Um red spider lily is mostly like Japanese and they put it on the the burial um uh, like the graves of their loved ones, and um, and and the culture actually, I think over time has lost the reason why they do that. They they claim it's a poison, um, which I disagree with, and um, I think the research would show it disagrees with it. The same thing with uh, snowdrop lily is like um, it's not edible um, in the sense that it's considered poisonous. But, you know, we use it for memory aids. And then if you go to Europe and you look at the images associated with that, it's all these fairies and, like, dream worlds and stuff. And it's like, okay, I don't think (laughs) – I'm pretty sure these people were using it for very specific reasons with uh, when they associate with these images, you know, like not a normal um, image that you would see associated with, like, a plant. So. they knew but you have it, other you know, things also that people can buy, like right over the counter, like 5-HTP, right? And yeah. so, valerian root you can get in any health food store. I mean, these things are pretty yeah. easy to get, right? Is, is there anything in your list right, that's so yeah, exotic you have to get it somewhere else? No, nothing. Nothing is really. Uh, I mean, a lot. Some of these plants and stuff you can grow them in your garden, you know. And I would I would recommend doing that versus getting some chemical extract of it online. Um, you know, 5-HTP, you can eat, you can eat fruits and vegetables, or not fruits, uh, animals, you know, like eggs and stuff like that will increase your 5-HTP. Uh, you know, there's lots of different things. Uh, there's plants that are, are high in 5-HTP. And these are all just precursors to, um, you know, serotonin or acetylcholine, which are these neurotransmitters that are kind of doing different things to your, your brain chemistry and, and resulting, affecting your sleep. Um, one instance, you know, I don't recommend people do is, <laughs> but we all do it is, well, most 
as heavy drinking, right? Um, after a long party night or wine tasters, you know, people, um, they go to sleep. And first they, you know, generally feel very rested when they go to sleep. And then they wake up and they have wild dreams. And they're like, why, why did I dream so much last night, you know? And really what's happening, um, there's a lot happening, but one thing science points out is that um, alcohol suppresses REM. So it acts oh. a lot like, um, uh, you know, 5-HTP would. And so it, it suppresses REM, and it also releases GABA in the brain. And so these things really affect your sleep cycles and makes it so essentially you're, you're suppressing REM to the point that you start sobering up, and then REM just floods your, you know, your, your, your nightly experience. So that when you wake up, you'll you'll definitely remember your dreams. So I don't recommend people doing that, obviously, because it's hard on the whole entire body. But uh, you know, it's definitely an explanation to why people will have these wild dream experiences after having a heavy night of drinking or wine tasting. Yeah, so, that's very interesting. That is yeah, so interesting. Yeah, all these are very common. You know, I think I think plants. Um, you know, you can call it. it evolved right um these plants have changed and, and grown over time evolved over time to have a relationship with humans because we're the ones that cultivate it and move it around and things and some of these plants have really changed in certain ways to affect us in, in very dr- dr- dramatic ways to affect our sleep because i mean humans for a long time were really interested in, in symbolic images and dreams and things like that. It's not until very recent, you know, in our period of time that we've really kind of um, limited that. So I think, you know, the the type of plants that we surround ourselves with is kind of telling of our past and, like, what we really found important and how those plants affected us. And um, not just, like, our nutrition and stuff, but also uh, our dream experiences. Yeah, I mean, and I do think, you know, our, our own electrical field makes a big difference and how that may be compromised due to our environment and, you know, other things like that. Lifestyle choices, it kind of wears that down so the connection is a little bit harder to make. But, you know, after yeah, the definitely. UFO sightings, did, talking about these electric um, magnetic fields, <laughs> what were your dreams like? Did they change? Well, um, the first time um, it was odd because I, I kind of imagined um, the, the event happening prior to seeing it, and I was also very close to uh, sleep. Uh, it was late at night. It's probably like 1 or 2 in the morning when I saw my first UFO sighting. And so I was kind of in this liminal space, which is essentially the space between waking and dreaming already, having you know, um, day dream type night dream, you know, <laughs> experiences in my mind. And then, mm-hmm. I, and then I saw the object. It was very closely related to dreams already, even though at the time I didn't really understand that. And, um, but I can't really recall, like, if that really changed dramatically my um, dream experiences. I definitely had UFO encounters in my dreams and alien abduction type experiences with sleep paralysis and dreams and um 
oddly enough, you know, I didn't really, I didn't really think too much of it. I was just like, oh, this is another, you know, dream experience, you know, as a young kid, you know, and, right. um, and then later on in life, you know, I was in the military and, uh, and I still, you know, uh, I still was very interested in dreams, but I, I was nowhere in the understanding I am today about them. And so, um, I saw, you know, another UFO experience and, um, right after that, you know, looking in, uh, the past, um, uh, was pretty much when I started having sleep paralysis. Do I know if they were connected or not? I think everything's kind of connected, <laughs> but, um, you know, it'd be hard to prove like this UFO thing changed my dreams. But, you know, I think, I think, uh, you know, where I am today, I'd say those experiences were very much connected. Uh, they mm-hmm. changed me in, in ways that I possibly couldn't even really understand. Um, just, you know, say, say you saw a UFO today, what would, you know, what would that change you? It would, it would change your perspective of reality seeing that thing. You know, you're like, what is that? How is that possible? You know, like it's, it's denying all the laws that we <laughs> seemingly denying the laws that we set in place, you know, and that's very dreamlike. Um, it's like a waking dream. And yeah. if you read the research behind these things, uh, most people would call them like shared hallucinations scientifically. You know, they're like, oh, you had a shared hallucination. It's like, well, what do you mean shared hallucination? What does that mean? You know, like, um, and they're. Well, they're and also, you know, so to... many people have had physical proof. I mean, you see burned spots right, yeah. on the ground and all kinds of other things that uh, unfortunately we don't have time to discuss. But yeah, there's physical proof of a lot of that. Uh, yeah. So it, it, I was just wondering because a lot of people say they are changed once they have an experience like that. You already were a very strong dreamer, and then this happens. So I was just wondering if it elevated the dreaming to a new level. But it sounds like it didn't. Yeah, you think, were already there. Yeah, I think they encountered me um, because of my um, connection to the imagination and dreams already, and. Um, in, in, in showing in a way, you know, reality is much more like a dream than you really think it is, you know? Um, and other people saw those things with me. And I think that's very telling too, of like the experience, you know, here I am a young guy. I don't know what's happening. I still don't today, but, um, I didn't know what's happening in my dream. I don't know what reality is. I don't know any of that stuff. And and I'm trying to prove things. Well, here's an experience, you know, that's very unique. I externally see with other people an object in the sky. You know, they're military. They know what aviation stuff is. I worked on a in an aviation squadron at the time, and they were pilots, you know. Like, they knew this stuff. And they experienced it with me, and they're like, what is that? You know, and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what that is. And, and so it's just it's kind of like an external experience of an internal thing saying, Hey, uh, you know, these, these are real, you know, and is that enough for you? And so, you know, I, I had those experiences and oftentimes, you know, um, I found myself being like, you know, is that real? Still even questioning it then. And then I had to take a step back and say, well, you know, what do you, what are you trying to prove to yourself? You know, what, what is real? What is not real? Does it matter? You know, like are these worlds intertwined together in such a way that you can't really possibly even understand, you know? And I think that's the more likely answer 
is that yeah, these things are so intertwined right. together is. that yeah, it's just one thing. It's not like when you close your eyes and you imagine something, that's a different experience, you know. You're, where does the imagination come from, you know? Like, where do you think these images come from? Like, well, if you follow science, you know, nothing's really random. So if some scientist says, well, it's just random images that just, you know, like, well, where do they come from? Why are they generated in the way that they are? You know, all this stuff. It's like uh, UFOs are just random. No, they're not random. They're, they're, they have purpose behind them. They have, a, a, they show themselves when they are needed and then they leave when they're not, you know? Um, so they're much like our dreams. Say, yeah, exactly. You know? I think and they're much like our dreams and that are they bringing, pointing out, different pieces of information to us. I mean, certainly some of the experiences you've heard about on this show uh, don't fit quite into that, but a lot of them do. But, again, right. we want to thank you, Lee, for coming on the show tonight. Unfortunately, we're coming down to the end, and it feels like we just got started. Anyways, everybody, the well, name of Lee's book is A Visionary Guide to Lucid Dreaming Methods for Working with the Deep Dream State, some great techniques and methods to use here everybody great book so lee thank you so much thank thank you you for having me on yeah it was a pleasure um and you know i hope people uh if they have more questions or anything they can reach out to me i'm very open very willing to talk to people for hours on end so (laughs) that's great to do that um i'm open well that's very very generous thank you so much and i hope everybody is now inspired to pay more attention to your dreaming mind and get into this lucid dreaming. It is just the coolest thing. So we'll be back next week, everybody, with another great show. And until then, we'll see you on the Blue Highway. Good night, everyone. Good night. night. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural.